It's time for Heatwave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heatwave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. And it's a uh, stormy, stormy night here in Las Vegas. That's all right. You're on to Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Tim Uncles meet Damon Cotton and my co-host tonight. Of course, you guys know who he is, radio personality Chris Wynn. We're all here in Vegas. Chris, nice little, nice little change in the weather tonight. This is a nice storm. Yeah, a little switch up, right, guys? Is uh, Vegas, you think what? desert you think dry you think sun you think heat hey got a little uh you know got a little uh moist out there tonight a little wet as uh in my neighborhood here i'm over uh in the chinatown section over by spring valley and it's getting pretty hard so uh, a little bit of a switch up that i think is uh a lot of us here in las vegas are welcome to to say the least oh no doubt about it and you know, it's going to be a good two hours tonight. Sit back and relax and join us as we take you around the world of sports. I just read the promo. It's okay. Some people tune that out, so I'm going to re-emphasize. It's going to be a two-hour show tonight here on a Super Sunday night, and you can join in. 876-1340 is the Heat Wave hotline, or over on Twitter, at HW Sports, at Tom Barton Sports, and Chris's Twitter handle is at Christian Wynn. We're always up for a good debate about anything we talk about. And I think tonight, Chris, we're going to open the show with a, a pretty good topic. You know, just a couple weeks ago, right here in Las Vegas, not even, not even I think it was about a week or so, week and a half, right here in Vegas, we were uh, hosted. We hosted the, the U.S. Olympic team, the basketball teams, and, and they were doing their, basically their practices before they left for, for Tokyo. And the U.S. team fell twice in that time span here in town a lot of people were questioning what was going on what was the roster made of Popovich, how's the coaching style going to be and a lot of people were also saying you know what they're uh half half asking it to, to, to say maybe the least tommy or, or chris excuse me and they'll be fine when they get to the olympics well chris game one today not all is well with team usa as they drop a decision to France, a team that cost them an opportunity to medal back in the last Olympic Games. They beat them today in game one, 83-76, used a 16-2 run in the fourth quarter to put this away. And the U.S. Olympic men's basketball team has snapped a 25-game winning streak dating back to the 2004 Olympics. So all is not well in Team USA land. What's going on? Yeah, here's the thing, right, Tim? We talked about this back during the exhibition stretch run there where they were playing here in Vegas against, you know, other competition that was not as impressive as they're going to see over there in Tokyo in the Olympics. And uh, the word panic was never used because you could always, you know, you call it excuses, call it. thunderstorm warning for north central san bernardino county in southern california southeastern inyo county in south central california northwestern clark county in southern nevada southern lake county in south central nevada until 10:45 p.m pacific daylight time drew holiday chris middleton and some others you know, have been playing in the NBA playoffs and the NBA finals, so they haven't had a chance to play. But just the way that this game kind of unfolded, it was a surprise. And look, there, we, we all know, right, Tim? We all understand that Team USA's invincibility, and that's the word that Brian Windhorst used over at ESPN. That's a word that we use a lot, whether it's invincibility, whether it's dominance, whether it's whatever. It's just not the case anymore with the United States and basketball. There's just other countries that are, you know, not if they're not up to the level, they're close, and they're getting much closer. And that's exactly the situation with France. I mean, there's when you think about, the, you know, the, the key guys for the French team, they're guys that play in the NBA on a day-to-day basis against the best players for Team USA, and in some cases are teammates. So they're familiar with them. 
there isn't that awe, that sense of awe that there was back in 92, even in 96 and, and, and beyond. There just isn't that same feeling. So you get a situation where France gut punches the Americans and they get the 83-76 win to open up the Olympics today. And it snaps a 25-game Olympic winning streak for Team USA dating back to 2004 for Team USA. You get, you get Evan Fournier with a big-time game with uh, 28 points. He hits a huge three-pointer with a minute to play to give the French a lead for good. But, Tim, I mean, you can just look at it and you can say, I mean, there's just a number of factors as to why they lost this basketball game. And you had that stretch there, that, that possession where the United States gets off five shots and misses all of them, including the final three, which were wide-open threes, Tim, by Zach Levine, Kevin Durant, and Drew Holiday. I mean, it just—it was just strange. And then you get both Kevin Durant and you know uh, you get D- Damian Lillard shoots like three for ten from the field, and Kevin Durant shoots four for twelve. Yeah, I mean, they're not—you're you're just not going to win with with Team USA, you know, shooting like that. Yet at the same time, because of the play mainly of Drew Holiday, you know, late in that game, Drew Holiday was was excellent, which is kind of surprise given that. I think he was one of the guys that rolled into town, or believe around one o'clock in the morning, uh, before the game. So it was, you know, obviously these players are, you know, coming back from the NBA Finals and from the parade in Milwaukee, all this stuff. So the, these guys aren't exactly, you know, it's not exactly a, a prime situation for those players to kind of come in and try to play. But didn't bother Drew Holiday. Hey, play he played tremendous in the back end of this game. But uh, it was uh, the shooting of uh, the likes of Durant and Damian Lillard, as well as. Uh, Solid defense by guys like Rudy Gobert and the other seven. They had two seven-footers for France that uh, was big in that second half and was a big key to why they were able to to surmount that eight-point lead, I believe, that the United States had with about four minutes left in the game. So, I mean, uh, with those circumstances all playing out, um, you know, and look, there is a little bit of history here. You had two years ago at the World Cup in China, you had France also beating, you know, a much less talented team USA in those in that competition. So, and Greg Popovich talked about that. He said, "Look, there's there's nothing to be surprised about." And he, it, it was almost like I don't know, Tim. It was was it was it really it wasn't really excuse making from Greg Popovich, but it was but it was also we do have kind of a mindset here in the United States, right, Tim, where we just expect our team, you know, do, do they have to dominate now because of what I just talked about at the top of uh, at the top here? No, they don't have to dominate, but they still should win, right? They still should win. And so it is a surprise, maybe not a shock, but it is a surprise when they do lose and, and especially when they lose the opening game, right? So now they have to basically, I believe they have to win against both Czechoslovakia and uh, the Czech Republic and uh, and one other game, and they can still get to the medal round. I, still, I think they can still even lose a game with the uh, point differential and still make it to the medal round. But the point being is that it's not the way, right, Tim, that you want to start the Olympic Games if you're Team USA with the reputation that we, and I say we because we're Americans, have in the game of basketball. Yeah, I 100% agree, and I'm still in the belief that you said it. You said that the world is catching up. I truly believe that. But when I look at a roster the Team USA has, and, and by all means, Chris, it's not the best roster that can be put together, but it's a pretty damn good one. And they were basically, you know, you said with the two the two twin towers out there, Rudy Gobert of, of the Utah Jazz and Vincent Poirier was the other guy. And the French coach put these guys in the second half, and those two guys clogged the lane up caused the uh, team not to be able to drive and kick it out. And uh, you said it. They just didn't shoot well. So, yeah, there, there's plenty of reasons why they lost this game. My mindset still is that if these two teams played 10 times, right, Chris, would, would, would I be okay in saying that the U.S. should win nine of those 10 times? Is that fair? I think you'd be exactly right because you're talking about the likes of Durant, right? You're talking about the likes of Jason Tatum. You're talking about Damian Lillard, Draymond Green, uh, you know, bam out of by and across the board. I mean, they're just the, the the talent level is just so much higher. And so, and look, and and Greg Popovich after the game, look, he gets irritated with the media, you know, asking questions about the upset. And look, we all get 
Popovich, right? That's how he is. That's just the way the guy is. I mean, you just, you know. But the fact of the matter is this, and this is something that Popovich can't get around, and that has to be, you know, at least, you know, just addressed. He's overseen losses, Tim, in five of the past eight games that he's coached for the national team. This is dating back uh, two years now to 2019. Okay. So there are people around the team. There are people on the team and people around the team that are saying, look, this is a disappointment. And disappointment does not mean shock. It doesn't mean like, oh my gosh, this is just unreal. Okay. It's a disappointment. It is what it is. And that's exactly what it is. So, you know, it's, and even Dave Miller talked about this, you know, who had two turnovers critical late in that game, by the way, today. And he even talked about it. He said, look, we have a history of dominance and maybe not always blowing people out. But we have a history of winning. It's not often that you see Team USA go out there and lose, especially to start. That's that's another thing, too, is it's the first game of, of, of the Olympics. You know what I mean? So, I mean, we, we all remember back to, you know, 1992 against Angola. You know, it seems like every whether it's the World Championships, Olympic Games, usually the U.S. gets off to a, a solid start, or you know, at least they win the first game. You know what I mean? And then, and then maybe there's a slip off later on down the line. But this is like right out of the gate after what you described at the top of the show here, where they have exhibition where they lose two games in, in the exhibition season. So it it uh, it kind of like it's it's snowball effect almost. And so I think it's caused concern for. Team USA's uh, us as fans, and probably for the team as well. So the U.S. drops it. A tough, uh, you know. You know, I look at it this way too. Like you said, Chris, it's um, is it is should it be this huge, huge story? No. In in the fact that I believe truly that things get go the way they're supposed to go and we're going to be talking about the medal round and, and how we can go and maybe these two teams will meet again and you know and uh the u.s can redeem themselves when, when you look at though what you've noticed over the past let's just go past 10 years of international basketball and the uh other countries gaining ground on the u.s is it, is it fair to say that the lack of defense that these gentlemen play in their profession in america is a big culprit of this I think that's absolutely a fair assessment. Um, do we want to go too deep as far as like, well, they don't, they, they just don't care about the fundamentals, like you know, like old school basketball players used to play. I mean, look, we know the deal, right, Tim? You know, and we talk about this all the time. You and Tommy talk about it. Like it just, it's like just let's talk about free throws, for example, right? It's almost like players today couldn't care less about their free throw percentage, right? There's certain parts of the game which, you know, this is in my humble opinion, I think have gone by the wayside regarding, you know, people spending time on it and actually, you know, and actually paying attention to it. And, and look, this is not something that ha- hasn't been going on probably for the past 20 years because myself as a Detroit Pistons fan, I know all about guys like Ben Wallace or Dennis Rodman who go out there and shoot 50% or under from the free throw line. This is something that is it's been it's been transpiring now for the past couple of decades. But there is, in my opinion, there just isn't that concern for certain aspects of basketball that that used to be more important than they are right now. And free throw shooting happens to be one of them. And as you just brought up, defense absolutely is one of them as well. But in this game specifically against France today. Uh, you had Kevin Durant basically played the worst game of his unbelievable career, right, Tim? I mean, he was he got in foul trouble. He, uh, we talked about him shooting four twelve. He had those early fouls when he's trying to defend Gobert on switches, and you know, it, it forcing him basically off the floor after he had a good start. I mean, he scored seven points in the opening minutes, and then ends up fouling out after just twenty one minutes of play. That's a big deal, right? That's that's you can look at that and say that's another major factor as to why Team USA lost today. But uh, it was also down the stretch. I mean, it was down the stretch. They, they just couldn't make shots. So, uh, you know, they had the leads to, what, 74-67 in the fourth, and then France goes on that 16-2 to run, you know, which is punctuated by Fournier knocking down that big three in the final minute. So it was more like France stepped up offensively. And yet, can you attribute that? And obviously, yes, you have to attribute some of that to Team USA's defense. And so... 
there, but but again, I'm not I'm not ready to push the panic button yet. I don't think you are either, Tim. It's a it's a scenario where if they you know they're probably going to beat the Czech Republic, and I think they play Iran also in the next two games. And so the meta round comes around, it could be a whole new ball game. And obviously we understand that this team gets a few games under its belt. They get some minutes with each other. It's going to be more cohesive. It's going to gel more and they're going to be much more formidable. And they still have a tremendous chance to win a gold medal, but it is still concerning, right? And you have to analyze the game and it's, and we just, we can only go by what we just saw recently, you know, and what we just saw recently was a team just got, got beat that uh, had a lead in the fourth quarter. And uh, there's a bunch of other circumstances surrounding it. So I'm sure Greg Popovich and uh, the coaching staff, as well as, uh, you know, the leaders on this team are going to uh, try to rectify the situation and get them back to a point where they think they're going to be successful. Evan Fournier, of, formerly of your Orlando Magic and currently of my Boston Celtics, 28 points. Rudy Gobert clogging up the middle. And uh, Team France, we'll call them, Chris. A big win to open up the Olympic Games, and, and you said it. Look, Group A is France, Czech Republic, Iran, and U.S. Next game up for USA, Mr. Win Tuesday against Iran, and the U.S. is favored by 39 points. I might, I might lay a little bit on the U.S. there. 39, what do you think? That's uh might be a safe little little wager right there, my friend, and uh, I but I, but then again, I looked at this game today, Tim, and what was it? it went down? It was it was upwards of fourteen and a half. I want to I want to say throughout the week, and then it, it got it got bet down to eleven and a half. I think it closed out at eleven and a half. Team USA was favored, and obviously we understand, you know, what the what the result of that was. So I know some betters out there are probably going to be hesitant to lay that amount of points but i but i also would say a good number of those betters out there tim and those of us have no idea what the czech republic has regarding players i haven't looked at the roster uh maybe they have one or two players that have you know uh professional experience in the nba or you know have even had a cup of coffee over here on the college level i don't know but uh when i see a number like that i i would tend to lean towards Team USA covering, especially, especially, Tim, after what happened on your Sunday out in Tokyo. Yeah. I guess just to sum it up, and, and you know what, in a week's time we could be talking about the gold medal and the dominance and, and everything, but say U.S. fails. Say they don't, they don't get the gold, even, even a silver. Say they get a silver or below. Does it does it really mean anything uh, at the end of the day, Chris, or will it just be a talking point for that night, and then things will move on as they always do in in the life that we live? But it's not um look nobody's saying this is the dream team version six. It's what it is, right? I gotta say, Tim, it might last for forty eight hours, maybe a few days, depending on exactly how they lose. Right? If they do get knocked off, they get knocked off in you know whether the the uh, they end up with the, with the uh, with the bronze, you know, or the silver. It, it's going to be talked about for probably forty eight hours. But then after that, no, because I just don't know, you know, how. Obviously, the Olympics are important, right, Tim? We care about the Olympics. It's a worldwide competition where countries. It's a, it's about national pride. It's about you know, but but when it's all said and done. When it comes to basketball, right, the sport of basketball, what's the measuring stick, right? What's the measuring stick? You know the deal. It's the NBA, right? The NBA is the measuring stick. That's considered a world. You're considered a world champion. Look, all due respect to the French League and, you know, and to the, all the leagues, whether the, whether the league in Spain and with the leagues in Switzerland, in, you know, all these countries throughout Europe and in China and across Asia, it's the NBA. The NBA is a standard bearer. We happen to have the NBA in the United States. It has all the best players. It has all the best teams. It has all the best coaches, in my opinion. It has uh, just monstrous fan bases, worldwide fan bases. So on a scale, when you're talking about basketball, right, 
And from an Olympic standpoint, it just doesn't compare. Okay. Yes, it's kind of unique and it's and it's it's kind of a novelty. You got the, you know, got the multicolored basketball, you got the court that looks like it's, you know, that it's in an open air dome almost, you know, and I was watching that I was watching that three on three yesterday. And which I by the way, I didn't even know they had that at the Olympics. They had three on three basketball going on and they're playing in like a in, in on like a half court inside like this it looked like a tennis arena you know but the but i digress my point being is that yes it's going to get talked about because it's the mighty americans who you know were expected to win and didn't for maybe a couple of days but then after that no it's going to go it's going to all go back to okay the bucks are the world champions uh oh by the way the nba draft is coming up on thursday and you know, let's talk about the NBA and about the teams that that worldwide basketball fans and especially American basketball fans care about. And that's going to end up being the focus, you know, just a matter of maybe hours after if if the United States does lose. I spend the majority of the day uh, locked in to the Olympics over on I have direct TV, Chris, so that's 220 uh, watching 24 hours of Olympic coverage. I, I know NBC had had some as well, but I was mostly on 220 watching that beach volleyball. You know how much I love that, Chris. And uh, right now, if you turn it on, you can listen to us, turn the sound off on your TV, and watch the American basketball team lose to France. I get that or they're re-showing that right now. But all said, and you know, I've been zoning out. And tomorrow, tomorrow night, we got women's basketball team USA takes on Nigeria. Chris, I don't know how you if you delve into the world of betting women's basketball, but Team USA 31-point favorite, and, of course, Asia Wilson and Chelsea Gray from our aces on Team USA. Oh, no question about it. And so there's an interest. But but also, and look, this is this is not going to be – I do not mean to be disrespectful in any way. And we're – look, you and I, Tim, we love, we love the aces here in Vegas. We love the – you know, we're, we are someone who – we are people who like to go to these games, and I enjoy the sport. But on a worldwide level, again, I mean, it's – I mean, I just talked about, you know, the possibility of a, a short shelf life regarding if Team USA loses that. I mean, that would give you an indication of what I think, you know, the worldwide viewpoint is regarding the women's side of the game. Right. Of the Olympics. And yes, as us as Americans, we're proud. And I'm, I want to I want to watch Asia play and I want to watch Team USA do well. And I hope that, you know, I hope they win the gold medal and I and I'll be proud and I'll be happy if they do. Um but on a worldwide scale, I don't I don't know how much of a blip on the radar it is. You know, I don't know how much, you know, people are going to get fired up about it. And I don't know how much, you know, I, I don't know how much shelf life it has, I guess I should say, regarding uh, regarding that. But no, there's no question. And, and like you, Tim, I have I have 220. I have direct TV on right now. So I am actually watching this right now as uh, actually France is up, what, 59, 56, looks like right now in the third quarter. So uh, I didn't get a chance to watch this whole game. I just had. A chance to watch the back end of it so it'll be interesting to kind of check this out and see what's going on also chris mentioned the three on three team usa four and oh right now led by again aces kelsey plum jackie young on that team so if you're into the olympics and you're in your zone around and check it out plenty of not only patriotic in in the usa matchups being televised but right here in town just athletes you're familiar with playing in in these olympic games and like we we kind of talked about last week chris you know what the olympics are all about and growing up as kids watching it especially big for us i think 84 when it was here was huge and um damn it's been a long time hasn't when when you look at just what what you like to watch and and today i was watching volleyball indoor and outdoor basketball uh tomorrow you got lined up i don't know if you check it out the uh the gymnastics portion of it. So plenty, plenty going on. And of course, track and field hems up real soon as well. Oh, no doubt about it. Right, Tim. And look, we kind of talked, touched on this last week a little bit about the exposure, right? Like there's just, there's just so many more options back when we were kids, right? The Olympics was huge because it was every four years. You didn't have the media landscape that you have now where you have just so many options. So it was, if you're a sports fan, you would, zone in on you know in the summertime if it's the summer olympics because you want to get a chance to see 
the Bruce Jenners or the Edwin Moses or the Jackie Joyner Kersey's, you know, the, the people that you would just not be able to see on a regular basis because the interest level just wasn't there until the Olympics came around. I think it's just a little bit different now, right, Tim? I think the whole landscape is different regarding media. I mean, you just have so many options worldwide at this point. You know, there's so many. If you're in a developed country, right, around the world, you just have so many options regarding your media taste or regarding what you want to do. And so I think that's kind of downgraded the Olympics a bit regarding the exposure and regarding the interest to see it, right? And I look, I'm not an economist, so I don't really know the economics as far as like, you know, are there, are there less Olympians making money off of endorsements than there used to be, you know, because we remember the Bruce Jenner being on the, you know, Wheaties box and all, you know, like it just seemed like Olympic athletes more back in the 70s and 80s and even early 90s had had way more options regarding endorsements and getting getting an opportunity to be noticed or to be famous, really, you know, because of their exploits during the Olympics. Now, I think just because of the diluted atmosphere that we live in, the diluted media frenzy that we live in, I just think it's a little bit different. And uh, but that being said, Tim. We, we, we turn on our 220, you know, we turn on our Olympic coverage and you said you can watch it 24 seven. So yes, if you want, if you're, if you got a hunger for that uh, sporting competition and uh, what the Olympics brings to the table, there's no question. You can get that with uh, the options that we have available to us today. That's Chris Wynn, Tim Unglesby, Heat Wave Sports, Super Sunday Night, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. When we return we're going to talk NBA. We're going to stay with basketball. We'll go to the NBA as the NBA draft this Thursday night. And Chris's Detroit Pistons hold the first pick. We kind of know which direction this is going to go, but have the Houston Rockets put themselves in the mix? We'll talk to Chris about that. And the trade wins. There are going to be some trades coming up leading into the NBA draft and beyond. And we'll get Chris's thoughts on some of the hot rumor trades happening right now in the National Basketball Association. It's Heatwave Sports. It's Fox Sports Radio. We sitting here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not, a, not, not the game that I go out there and, and die for and play every game like it's my last. Not the game. We're talking about practice, man. I mean, how silly is that? Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tim Unglesby. It's silly, man. Silly, of course. We all know Chris AI on that famous 2004 bronze Olympic gold medal winning team. So practice means a lot more in uh, other countries than apparently it does in the United States, right? I'm just saying, Chris. I'm just saying. It was just tough, wasn't it, Tim? I mean, we saw that 92 Dream Team just destroy people, just dominate, just kill it, right? And then it was just, you know, the, the, the couple of teams afterwards, they just they weren't up to par. They just weren't up to par. That team that was just loaded from top to bottom with Hall of Famers and iconic players and Christian Leitner. And then, yeah. you know what I mean? And then they just, just they just absolutely destroyed it. And then, of course, uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of we've been trying to catch up to that the last it seems like the last like 25, 30 years. Yes, we had won gold medals. We have. But it hasn't. It just hasn't had that same feel, right? That same, and, and because we don't have the same feel, it's not the same thing. We're not that dominant American squad anymore. We have to actually believe this, Tim. We actually have to work for it now. You know, we actually have to play well and actually execute to to win basketball games in these World Championship environments that we're playing in. Well, we're gonna stay with some hoops here and. Talk to the talk about the NBA. Obviously, the Milwaukee Bucks win the championship in the beginning of the week, and a, a big congrats to them. It's a great story. Not on, not only them winning, but the two teams that were represented in the finals. I think is, in my opinion, good for the league. And we're moving along the off season timeline, Chris. And the next thing up will be the NBA draft. But before the NBA draft, we're kind of seeing how these teams are putting out the the uh, feelers, right? They they. They want to dump some cap here, make some moves. Free agency also around the corner as well. So you're starting to see teams kind of make guys available. And the Lakers always a huge topic when you're talking about the NBA. 
and their disappointing first round exit to those Phoenix Suns this year. And what can the champions of just two years ago do to switch up this team? And the uh, hottest rumor coming out of the NBA right now is that the Lakers looking at a potential buddy healed from Sacramento to LA and Kyle Kuzma going back the other way. I know uh, Caldwell Pope also has been openly available Dennis, Dennis Schrader, his, his uh, huge contract, I think he was making $24, $28 million a year, could be potentially coming off the books. So that, that opens them up to the likes of maybe a Kyle Lowry when the free agency does start. But, Chris, you know, when you look at the Lakers, you win the title. And I know injuries crippled that team this year, but they had problems with depth as well. And a, and a first-round exit after you win the title, not acceptable when you have what, what is supposed to be the best player in, uh, on the earth still on your roster leading your team. So the Lakers looking to move some some pieces around here. What would, what would your thoughts be of the Buddy Heald? He can shoot the basketball. It's something they didn't need this year. That would be a nice addition, no question. Um, it would. I would. I would question though what they would do with KCP. You know, Contavious Caldwell Pulp is kind of a guy, right? That's a, That's one of their either either off the bench or starting guys occasionally. That is one of their offensive guys, and I think that Buddy Heald would, would fill that role for the Lakers. So I think that he would also possibly be on the move but you make no mistake about it right tim it's been talked about since the lakers bowed out of the nba playoffs who were the what were the changes going to be and it was almost overwhelmingly that the two pieces that were going to get moved uh, were going to be kyle kuzma and dennis schroeder those are the two names that were brought the most i also thought that you know the likes of, of kcp and possibly some others could go as well too but uh those were the names that were brought up there's been some discussion early on here in the past in the past week and a half, two weeks regarding even Russell Westbrook possibly being on the move, heading back to Los Angeles. Obviously, he played his college basketball at UCLA and could end up in a Lakers uniform as well. Also, discussions we talked about Damian Lillard on the Olympic team. Uh, if the Lakers and, and there's been some prominent NBA talking heads and experts that have opined that Damian Lillard could possibly end up in a Laker uniform as well. It's also possibly of Damian Lillard ending up in a Warriors uniform, also being from the Bay Area. But there's uh, no question, Tim. I mean, we know it, right? It's the Lakers. So we're going to talk about the Lakers. We're going to even we're starting to talk more now about the Knicks. Okay, it's the two biggest markets, and there's a lot of intrigue, obviously, in the East with the Knicks. But they're also obviously in the West. You're talking about a team that is just about a year and a half removed from winning an NBA championship that happens to have, oh, by the way, LeBron James and Antone, and and uh, Anthony Davis on its team. So they're going to be talked about in the mix, and there's no question. And it'll be interesting to say the least, right, Tim, to see if they, if they do anything regarding this NBA draft. I mean, the NBA draft is going to be a lot of fun to watch here on Thursday, Tim. You're talking about a, you know, a top 10 that has the Orlando Magic with two picks in it. You've got some teams that are good that are going to be drafting high in this draft, i.e. teams like the Toronto Raptors drafting at number four. You've got the Warriors drafting at number seven, which I was kind of taken aback when I saw that. And then, of course, uh, you know, other squads, maybe like the Hornets at number 11. You've got the, you know, uh, you've got the Warriors also drafting at 14, too. So there's there's all kinds of teams that could possibly package picks to move up and take a look at that. (coughs) Excuse me. And take a look at either that number one or number two pick with the Pistons and the, and the Rockets. Also being discussed here, <laughs> some uh, trade situations is Brad Bradley Beal has put his name into the mix, and you know we've we've talked about D, D. Lillard, wanting, not necessarily saying you're going to trade me, but he's pretty much saying, hey, you need to trade me. Now Bradley Beal's kind of saying the same thing, right, Chris? And, and I hear a rumor mill again. We love the rumor mill, Golden State. Brad Beal's available. What do we got to do to get him? So, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to have this blockbuster names being traded before Thursday's draft, but it sure is fun to talk about it. And even if it doesn't happen for, say, Thursday, you'll see teams start to move picks to create room and cap room and and uh, for, for these big free agency that's coming up here right after the draft. So what about Bradley Beal? You know, this guy's um, become quite the NBA player. And he's done it in Washington, 
where, you know, we're looking at a franchise that really hasn't been good in a while, but he surely kept his name in the mix. Guy can score. There's no doubt about that. Oh, there's no question. And he's going to be a, a, a highly sought after piece if the Wizards do end up moving on from him. And uh, when you talk about the NBA draft, you talk about the moves being made in the offseason. What are they trying to – you mentioned it's the, it's teams like the Bucks and the Suns have got people energized that say, hey, you don't have to be a big market squad. You don't have to be the Lakers. You don't have to be the Knicks. You don't have to be, you know, uh, one of these teams that is a perennial, always a contender team. You can do it from a mid-sized market. The Milwaukee Bucks, they, they were able to keep Giannis Antetokounmpo in that market, right? He was able, they were able to keep him and resign him there. So it gives hope to these other markets and, uh, of course, that leads into the number one draft pick overall in this year's NBA draft, the Detroit Pistons, right, who haven't had a number one draft pick in years and haven't been really a team that has been competitive since the early 2000s. And now you have a guy who is intriguing as all get out, Tim, in Cade Cunningham at the top of this draft. And, look, I understand that maybe teams like the Rockets and maybe some others might try to maneuver to get this number one pick. But I'm telling you, as someone who listens to Detroit sports radio often, and it was, uh, has my finger on the pulse of that city regarding the NBA and regarding the Pistons, this is looked at as if uh, everybody else, unless they're just a windfall, right? Unless there is just some type of offer that's just over the top, redonkulous Tim on every level. I don't see the Detroit Pistons dealing with that more pick, and I think they're absolutely taking Cade Cunningham because the viewpoint is this. They think a lot about Cade Cunningham and, and compare him to whoever you want. You compare him to the Jason Tatums and you know uh, the other contemporaries of his. The mentality in Detroit for Pistons fans is almost ex- as much excitement as back in 1994 when they drafted Grant Hill at the number three spot and – you know, Glenn Robinson went number one. That was the draft that Jason Kidd went number two. And Grant Hill was drafted number three by Detroit. Pistons fans were ecstatic, and rightfully so. We saw Grant Hill start his career tremendously. And there's a lot of, you know, I'm not trying to compare Cade Cunningham as a basketball player to Grant Hill. I'm just talking about, you know, the excitement and optimism, Tim, I guess, for Pistons fans that this is this kid – could possibly be wearing a Pistons uniform in just a matter of weeks. And we could be seeing him here in the summer league in just a matter of a couple of weeks. So, I mean, he's a guy who, you know, is versatile across the board. He already, and, and look, these players, a lot of these players at the top of the draft, whether it's him, whether it's Suggs, whether it's, you know, uh, Mobley, all these guys, they've been, t- they've been uh, taking visits. Cade Cunningham has taken one visit and that's to the Detroit Pistons. He went. He was at a Tigers game about a week and a half ago. It's almost a foregone conclusion that he believes he's going to be a Piston, and that he'll end up in Detroit. So, uh, you know, and I, look, I didn't mean to dis- destroy the whole, you know, speculation and uh, and kind of, you know, kind of us uh, just deciding, you know, what's going to happen here at the top of the draft. But I'm just, I'm just, I'm telling you, there, I will, I will be shocked, Tim. I will be shocked if he, his name is not called number one and the Detroit Pistons don't have that number one pick coming up on this Thursday. Yeah, I think I think that's the route that the Pistons go for the for the point guard from Oklahoma State and you know they not that they have to to uh put on the free agent press on Cade Cunningham like you see sometimes these teams bring in the free agents and they uh wine and dine them, right? But earlier this week the Pistons took Cade Cunningham out to a uh, Tigers game, Chris they shoot around and work out so it seems like that everything is in line for him to be the next piston and, and so that is say that is the, the case say kate cunningham is the number one pick thursday night joins the pistons when you look at this roster that the pistons are are, are building here for the future uh, are you are you happy are you happy with what you see you got jeremy grant locked in long term uh at, you know he's making 19 20 million a year obviously and had some had a great couple great seasons but Depth-wise, the younger younger side of it, are, are you okay with what you've seen the Pistons be able to kind of put together here in the last three, four years? 
I think I am. I, I'm obviously happy about the coaching situation. I think we have one of the you know one of the more underrated coaches in the NBA there in Detroit, and you have and yes, I mean there's obviously moves being made. Jeremy Grant was brought in last year, and he was a pleasant surprise to say the least. He's in Tokyo now with Team USA. Obviously, Blake Griffin chipped out of town, and uh, some of the other pieces that they did draft in the past five, six years are now on other squads and, and playing elsewhere. But I do think they have a nucleus that can get themselves back to respectability and in contention in the Eastern Conference. Now, it's not going to be easy. You know, now you have the in the in the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, a couple of years ago, you had the Toronto Raptors who won an NBA championship. They're still very formidable teams in the East across the board, whether it's the Celtics, whether it's, you know, a team like the Miami Heat, whether it's the emergence of a team maybe like the Charlotte Hornets, obviously, with with uh, LaBella Ball. They're, and, you know, the Pacers always seem to be a team that can, you know, make some noise. So, yeah, I think, I, you know, as just taking a look at it from that standpoint, I am pleasantly surprised at what they're able to do. I think that, you know, g- given – what uh, how how the the uh, landscape of the NBA is today, and given the fact uh, the, that point that I keep driving home that you brought up regarding you you have a Milwaukee Bucks team that is now the NBA champs from Milwaukee. Okay, we're talking about uh, basically a mid-sized market. You know, this is not uh, a team, uh, not a city that uh, you know has just been uh, had a plethora of of recent success let's put it that way in the nba so that gives a lot of hope i think to to teams around the nba and it gives hope to the detroit pistons and adding a a a player the caliber of kate cunningham you know with the versatility that he has and and with the upside that he has i think would be a tremendous asset and i think that it would uh, blend well with this young team because it's going to end up being a young team tim and uh yeah much like much like uh, a lot of the teams that are sitting in the, with the first six, seven picks of the NBA draft this week. Well, that would take us to pick number two, the Houston Rockets, who have three picks in the first round, two at the bottom, but they have the number two pick, and obviously they like Kate Cunningham a lot too, but if he's gone, it leaves open uh, two potential choices from everything that I'm reading and listening to is that they're looking at the uh, off-guard he played in the G League, so there you go. How about this first first guy we get to look in the G League, coming out of the G League to the NBA, Jalen Green, and the big guy from USC, the center, Evan Mobley. Uh, which direction you you think Houston's leaning here when you look at their roster for next year? And by all means, the talent-wise, when you look at the talent of Houston, I'd say, in the number two pick, which, you know, because of trades, helped them out dramatically. You, you have a roster that does have a John Wall and Eric Gordon and, and your name, Christian Wood, on this former UNLV guy on this <laughs> team as well. You know, they, they uh, are not a, I'd say, a number two team, or as they're not, they shouldn't be where they're at in this draft if it's based on record and talent. So a good opportunity here for Houston to get younger and, and still be a contender next season. No question, Tim, and it's funny because they could go two different directions here. I, I don't think they're going to go Jalen Green. I really don't, even though this is a guy that's got a rare extra gear. I mean, we're talking about speed and the open court's unbelievable. He's explosive as all get out. He, and he's one of those guys, too, Tim, doesn't have a whole lot of glaring holes in his game. Yes, he was in the G League last year, and so we, you know, didn't get a lot. Of, it's not like uh, those of us, you know, in, in the sports media got a ton of chances to see Jalen Green play. In the you know in the in the in that league last year, but he's apparently he's improved his shooting from the outside, and he's you know he's he's a shot maker kind of guy. Who, you know he has the ability to pull up off the dribble and can knock it down from deep. So uh, he could end up being like a like a Bradley Beal type of player. But the thing I Tim Tim I got to tell you the direction I think they're going to go is Jalen Suggs because I think they look at Jalen Suggs they see you know he's got nice size. For a lead guard, he's got that strong, compact frame. Power. I mean, this guy's an athlete. I mean, he is powerful as they come. You know, he can finish above the rim in space, which is a rarity for guys or you know guys his size in the NBA. We're talking about unbelievable body control and also maturity, right? I mean, he's a mature decision maker on the court. This guy's this kid's got a tremendous feel for the game. Unselfish across the board in transition, whether it's in pick and roll, whether, you know, 
I mean, he he he's not somebody that turns the ball over a lot. And uh, hey, he, I mean, we saw him at Gonzaga last year. This is a Gonzaga team that you know uh, should have won a national championship. And you know, he he not only does he can he do all those things as far as uh, his offensive game, but he he can actually get on the boards too. I mean, the guy can rebound as well too. So I think that the Rockets, you know, if they don't uh, pull off some some kind of wild deal with the Pistons or if they, they actually do something like that. I think they're going to lean towards Suggs with the number two pick overall. And I think they're going to roll their dice on there and take their chances. Suggs, the guard out of Gonzaga. We all know, uh, enjoyed watching that run in the NCAA tournament, obviously in March. That brings us to Cleveland at number three. So Cleveland hamstrung with Kevin Love's $30 million contract. Chris, other than that, you know, a, uh, Again, a team rebuilding as you look at the core for the next three seasons locked in at 20, 21, 22 years of age. Do, you, do they go big here? You, you think you got to think they're going to go with Mobley at number three. Oh, there's no doubt, right, Tim? Because you think about what this Cleveland team has done in recent, you know, in the past, what, three, four years. They've been drafting guards left and right. They've been picking guards left and right. And it's actually worked out pretty well for them with Cleveland. They've got a, a, lot, of, a lot of kids you know, on that in that backcourt with potential. And you're in the Eastern Conference, right, Tim? So you're talking about going up against the likes of Embiid. You're talking about going up against Giannis, against these other big guys that are could prove problematic, to say the least. And with Evan Mobley, you're talking 7 feet, 215, and he's going to get heavier, right? He's going to get bigger. He's got an ideal physical profile for the modern big man, okay? And most guys that are that big, you don't think about quickness off their feet, right? You don't think about outstanding hand-eye coordination. You don't think about guys who are just great leapers. This kid is all of those things. It's almost like it's he finishes above the rim too easily. And I mean, the, the kid the kid is a constant lob threat. Um, on the offensive glass, he's ridiculous. He's got a seven foot four wingspan. Tim, we're talking big size here, elite rim protecting size, i.e., Rudy Gobert type stuff here. Um, he's comfortable in mid-range too, though, right? So, you know, that was something that with Akeem Olajuwon you liked is his mid-range ability. He's got and, – and to be honest, at seven feet, Tim, this kid can handle the basketball, right? And he can he can dish it with either hand too. So I think it would be a solid pick. for. And the way I just described him, man, it makes it, makes it seem like, hey, how are the Pistons not taking him at number one? But, you know, hey, he's still – you know, he's still not uh, – he's not going to be uh, – pick number one or number two, but I have uh, all kinds of love for Evan Mobley uh, with his trans with his transfer ability. That's not really the way I, uh, his transition, I should say, to the NBA. I think his game absolutely translates, and I think this is something that the, the Cleveland Cavaliers could be very happy about if they go this direction coming up on Thursday. Toronto will draft four. Still a few years off that NBA title, Chris, and a destination I think that most NBA players wouldn't mind playing. They no, nobody's going to mind playing in Toronto. It's like they're not going to pl- mind playing, at, you know, in, in, at Golden State. And when you look at the Raptors and their team situation, you have that that thirty million dollar Kyle Lowry contract coming off the books. They they claim that they're still interested in bringing Kyle back, which uh, why wouldn't they, right, Chris? But you know, he, he's playing the market. There's no doubt about that. So when you look at possibility of losing Lowry, and maybe at 35, not, not such a bad situation to, to move on from, from that because the money-wise, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a, huge, a huge haul for them. You'd have to think that Juggs, or excuse me, uh, Suggs and Green, and maybe even a, a James Booneight are, are the guys that they're looking at. And this is absolutely a spot, right, Tim, where maybe they do make a move. Maybe they try to move up to get a Jalen Suggs or, or someone along those lines. But if they do stay in that spot, that's when this is going to start to get interesting, right, Tim? Because now you're starting to get into the guys who aren't the American players who played in college. You're talking about, you know, the Kamingas, the, you know, uh, well, Scotty Barnes played at Florida State for one year, but you got, you know, the likes of, uh, you know, the, the kid G'day from Australia. You've got uh, 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 Garuba from Spain. The, uh, the kid from Turkey, Sengun, another center. 
in the in, you know projected to be in the top fifteen. So you're you're going to start looking at guys who don't have college or American basketball experience. Uh, but I still think I I mean I I take a look at this. I still think that they're going to look at Scotty Barnes in this pick. I think that they're going to take a look at him. Scott, I mean, you talk about Scotty Barnes uh, in his one season at Florida State. Uh, he's basically the number one position ranking number one as far as small forwards go in this league. He is LeBron-esque size-wise, a little bit lighter, obviously, than LeBron right now, but he'll probably get up to LeBron's weight. Uh, he's about 15, 20 pounds lighter. But you're talking about you know excellent size, excellent length, uh, a guy, another guy, one, another one, and this might be a recurring theme, right, Tim? Where you got guys who are six eight, but they have seven two wingspans. This is the same deal with Scotty Barnes, Scotty Barnes as well, too. Uh, a high motor defender. This guy can defend one through five. Okay, at six nine, he can defend one through five. That is unique, to say the least. All right, uh, good technique with the basketball, and he was a uh, he was a he was a he's a guy with a great feel for the game, and he was a facilitator with the Seminoles. He can he actually played point guard for FSU. And I'm sure Tommy and uh, I, I'm sure bo- both uh, Tommy and, and the misses would have great things to say about Scotty Barnes. And I'm pretty high on him too, Tim, as we look ahead to uh, what direction a team like the Raptors might go. Yeah, you see a team that really built the way they're built out and uh, go different directions here. I like, I like the front office in Toronto. I think they, I think they go guard though, just in the fact that I don't see Lowry coming back, and um, they're going to want something potentially. When you have a Suggs and a Green and a guy like Boonite and a guy like Kuminga that can play in that backcourt, even even a Moses Moody, if you want to go that route from Arkansas, I think I see a guard situation happening in Toronto. But I also know that. Um, Potentially, when you look at their makeup, they like to go young. So I think that's that's definitely the answer. And maybe at 18, 19 year old to, to mold into what they what they're looking for. But we'll see. You know, that's why it's the draft, and it, this one's kind of fun in that I don't think the picks are locked in other than number one and and you know probably number two. But it should be an interesting night. And when we come back to open up hour two. We're going to look at the rest of the top 10 in the NBA draft, including Chris's team coming up, the Orlando Magic, as they have two picks in the top 10. I'll get Chris's thoughts on who's going to be wearing that Magic jersey next year. Also an hour two, some NFL notes. And an MLB trade deadline will be this Friday at 1 p.m. We've already seen a, a trade happen today. We'll look at that one and some of the big names involved here moving forward as the trade deadline fastly approaching next week. Hour one in the books, hour two on the way. He Wave Sports here on Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. 